Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday that I've been releasing every single Monday morning because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, and others, so thank you for submitting. Unlike my regular podcasts that I write out in its entirety before I record, this is unscripted, and I don't read the articles past the headlines ahead of time, so you and I can react together. It's like we're having breakfast together as I read you the paper, okay, but a much more interesting newspaper. So, let's go. So, our first article comes from cbsnews.com. Title reads, NYPD. Family of four found stabbed to death in apartment on Upper West Side. So you guys in New York were actually super good at telling me, at least two of you were really good at uh, telling me just how bad that one part of Brooklyn is. So now I want you guys to let me know what the Upper West Side, because I think those of us who don't live anywhere near there, we think the Upper East Side is the fancy side, Upper West Side. Let me know. I'm curious. So again, coming out of New York, right? The NYPD is investigating the deaths of a family of four on the Upper West Side. Police said a man and a woman, ages 41 and 40, along with their children, ages 3 and 1, were found stabbed to death inside their apartment at 328 West 86th Street following a wellness check on Monday afternoon. CBS New York spoke to heartbroken and perplexed residents. The father who died grew up in the building. He was the superintendent and his father was the super before him. Oh. Residents described him as a doting family man and it seemed nobody can imagine what went wrong. So a historic co-op was the scene of what investigators believed to be a gruesome murder-suicide. Quote, a lot of tears and a lot of gasping, Jeff Kimmel said. Everybody is freaking out, Lynn Allen added. So police were called to the building off Riverside Drive at around 3 p.m. by the father of the building's super. Sources told CBS New York he was trying to get a hold of his 41-year-old son. The super's dad knocked at his one-bedroom apartment, and when no one answered, he looked into the peephole and saw his son's 40-year-old wife bleeding on the floor. I thought the peephole was private. You can see through the other side of the peephole? Ooh. Anyway, police arrived to find the couple, along with their three- and one-year-old sons, dead. Each had been stabbed. They were adorable. They were babies, Alan said. Investigators found kitchen knives at the scene and saw no signs of a break-in. Quote, he's like a really decent human being. He's like a nice guy. So I have no idea what could have possibly happened, Kimmel said. Residents said the super moved into the building when he was just 10 years old, when his father was the super. Quote, I've known him since he was a little boy and used to play stickball with the kid who is now the nighttime super in the corner building. Neighbor Philip last name I can't pronounce said this man said he was bumped into or no that he had bumped into this guy the other day quote and I thought how great to live on this street with this happy family this is heartbreaking just heartbreaking 
The young family was getting ready to move to Westchester County, where the father had just accepted another job as a super. Quote, because he's outgrown a one-bedroom apartment with his family of four. I mean, that makes sense. And we were all so happy for him. Just thrilled. He got this upgrade and lifestyle change, and everyone was really happy. End quote. Investigators spent hours trying to figure out exactly what happened, while neighbors racked their brains to figure out why. This isn't what you expect in this building, in this gorgeous neighborhood, in this very quiet building, Allen said. Residents said the super's last day was supposed to be at the end of this month, but the family was planning to stay in the building until they moved into their new apartment in Westchester in a few weeks. But I didn't hear anything about why they think it was all murder-suicide. I didn't hear, I don't, I didn't read anything about what happened to the parents, so I'm going to have to keep that in the back of my mind. I'd like to kind of know what happened there. So our next article comes from abcnews.go.com, and the title reads, Dad Who Killed Daughter by Stuffing Baby Wipe Down Her Throat is Arrested. So a father has been arrested following a more than two-year investigation after police determined he killed his two-month-old infant daughter by stuffing a baby wipe down her throat, police say. The incident originally occurred on May 28, 2021, when the Indian River County Sheriff's Office Public Safety Dispatch received a 911 call regarding a two-month-old unresponsive infant in Vero Beach, Florida, according to a statement from the Indian River County Sheriff's Office released on Monday. Dispatchers immediately began giving the infant's father, Joseph Napier, instructions on how to give CPR to the child and notified police deputies and fire rescue to respond to the scene. But when authorities arrived at the beach home and made contact with Napier and his two-month-old baby girl, the child was, quote, unresponsive and turning blue, according to the police statement. The responding deputy quickly took over the CPR procedure, and the child was rushed to the hospital, but the infant girl did not survive. Quote, During the preliminary investigation, Mr. Napier told deputies the infant choked, and he could only see a small white object in the back of her mouth. He then gave a timeline of events and claimed he left the child unattended on a couch with his 18-month-old daughter for approximately 10 minutes. End quote. Indian River County Sheriff's Office said in their statement, 18 months, 2 months, 16 months. So you're talking a year and 4 months apart. Get off her, dude. Quote, when he returned to the room, he discovered the child was choking and in distress, but still waiting approximately 5 minutes before calling 911. End quote. Convenient. A baby wipe would later be removed from deep within his infant daughter's throat and is what caused the airway obstruction that killed her. During the investigation, detectives determined that Napier spent, quote, approximately 30 minutes on his cell phone making his timeline inaccurate regarding the events that transpired at his home. Based on all of the evidence gathered and in consultation with medical physicians, it was determined that the only person present at the time of the incident that could have placed the wipe that deep in a child's throat was Joseph Napier, police said on Monday. 
The Indian River County Sheriff's Office announced the arrest of Napier after their two-year-old, no, after their two-year investigation on Monday on the charge of manslaughter, police said he is now being held at the Indian River County Jail on a $750,000 bond. Said the Indian River County Sheriff's Office, quote, while this investigation involved the tragic loss of life, we are hoping that this arrest can give some closure to the friends and family. And I agree with that. It's it's absolutely horrific. And not to mention that even if his story were true, and we all know that it wasn't right, like we're all agreeing on that, who would leave a two-month-old to be watched by an 18-month-old, by a year-and-a-half-old child? Nice try, douchebag. So our next article comes from cbsnews.com, and the title reads, Keith Burley found guilty of stabbing eight-year-old Marky Mason to death in Lawrence County, so Newcastle, Pennsylvania. A man was found guilty of stabbing an eight-year-old little boy to death in Lawrence County in 2019. The Lawrence County District Attorney's Office said Keith Burley, 47, was found guilty on counts of criminal homicide, simple assault, and kidnapping to inflict injury and terror in the death of Mark Mason. The jury deliberated for less than 15 minutes. Burley represented himself in the trial. Oh, good. Police said Burley was arguing with his girlfriend, Mason's mother, in a car when it turned physical in July of 2019. Police said the woman got out of her car, then Burley drove away with her children inside to a home on High Street in Union Township where he stabbed Mason in front of the boy's seven-year-old brother. How old was Mason again? Eight-year-old. Oh, Lord. At 23 years old, Burley pleaded guilty to a third-degree murder charge in the shooting death of 36-year-old Randall Kevin Stewart. He was sentenced to 18 to 36 years and was twice charged in prison for assaulting other inmates. Burley was paroled after serving more than the minimum time. Three months later, he was charged with kidnapping and stabbing the boy to death. So a whole three months, he was out of, he was out of prison for a whole three months, and he did this. Fantastic. Sorry, I just don't have a lot of patience for baby killers, you know. So our next article comes from NBCBayArea.com. Title reads, Son Arrested in Father's Death Following Fight in San Jose. Police are investigating a homicide after a father died following a fight with his son over the weekend in West San Jose. Officers responded to a family disturbance about 8.30 p.m. Saturday in the area of Donington Drive and Lock Haven Way, according to the San Jose Police Department. The father was found unresponsive and taken to a hospital where he died, police said. The son, an adult whose name was not released, remained at the scene. He was arrested and booked into Santa Clara County Jail. The death is the city's 25th homicide this year. So anyone with any information, if any of you would happen to have any information, you're asked to contact um, Detective Sergeant Van Den Broke at 3829, number 38, like pound 3829 if you call, that's their direct line, or Detective Estantino, number 4339, or pound 4339, of the San Jose Police Department's Homicide Unit via email 
3829-at-sanjosecaa.gov or 4339-at-sanjosecaa.gov or call 408-277-5283. So if you know anything, let them know. Thank you. And then our next one comes from NBCnews.com, and the title reads, 10 Charged in Abduction and Death of Homeless Man in Ithaca, New York. The motive in the death of Thomas Rath, 33, was not revealed, as authorities said more arrests were sure to come. Oh. So, 10 people have been charged in the abduction and death in Ithaca, New York, of a homeless man reported missing in the spring, state and local authorities announced Monday. Thomas Rath, 33, was reported missing from a homeless encampment in the city May 20th, and on August 3rd, his remains were found in a shallow grave on state land in adjacent Tioga County, Tioga County, State Police Captain Lucas Anthony said, quote, Rath was forcibly abducted from his encampment in the natural area behind Lowe's in the city of Ithaca, known as the Jungle. So, speaking at Monday's news conference, 100 days since the victim was reported missing, Anthony offered condolences to Rath's loved ones. Quote, Mr. Rath was the victim, but to his family, he was a father, a brother, a son. End quote. And just kind of as a side note, you know, I think that what I've seen that seems pretty common in the true crime community is that we... We feel horrible for victims. We feel horrible for their families. Like, you know, especially when it comes to children, you know, like this week's podcast is going to be another tough one for me. But just because the adult is homeless does not mean that they mean any less. Like that was a person. He might have had mental illness. He might have had some serious addiction issues, whatever the case may be. But he was still a person who still felt pain. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's be nice. Let's be nice. Anyway. So, two of the 10 people arrested and charged, Angelo Baez, 48, and Jonathan Glennon, 31, faced the most serious allegations, second-degree murder charges, state police said in a statement. Glennon was in the Androscoggin County Jail in Auburn, Maine, state police said. The other suspects, ages 27 to 52, each face a charge of first-degree kidnapping, as does Baez, according to state police. It was not clear whether the suspects have retained legal counsel. A public defender's office did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The suspects and the victim all resided in the Ithaca area, Anthony said, though it wasn't clear whether all, some, or none of those charged also lived in this particular encampment. More arrests are coming. For that reason, officials were tight-lipped about a possible motive or how Rath died. Okay, so we don't know how he died. They don't want to show their hand when it comes to evidence. You guys have harped about this so much, you get it. Anthony said that Rath was abducted and died in about 24 hours, and that those allegedly involved were all familiar with each other. Motive is something we'll be addressing more in the court proceedings, he said. The investigation included an early June search of a home Rath visited, authorities said, as well as the search for remains, which ended with the discovery on August 3rd. Investigators conducted hundreds of interviews and executed more than 40 search warrants, they said. Drugs may play a role on the periphery of the case, Anthony said, but they weren't a driving factor, quote-unquote driving factor. 
The case will be prosecuted in that county because that's where Rath's remains were found, the Tioga Tape. Ithaca's acting police chief, Lieutenant Ted Schwartz, addressed the victim's plight at Monday's news conference saying, quote, the people who most often rely on the police are the most vulnerable, end quote. Well, that kind of goes with what I was just saying, doesn't it? Oh, Lord. Okay, so our next article comes from cbsnews.com out of Baltimore, apparently. And the title reads, 16-year-old girl stabbed to death by another teen during McDonald's sauce dispute. And while murder and all of that is not funny, when I saw that title, you know that I opened that shit and put it right in the in the lineup, right? Had to talk to you guys about this one. I've not read it, though, just the headline. So it says... A 16-year-old girl allegedly stabbed another teenage girl to death in Washington, D.C. early Sunday, police said. The stabbing happened during an argument over McDonald's sauces. Naima Ligon, 16, was brought to a local hospital where she died of her wounds, the Metropolitan Police Department said. According to police, the teens, both from Waldorf, Maryland, had ordered food at a D.C. McDonald's and then got in a car together. The two of them then got into an argument over the sauces they had been given, which led to the stabbing. Officers took the other girl into custody on charges of second-degree murder while armed, officials said. She had a knife when she was arrested. So Ligon attended Thomas Stone High School in Waldorf, WUSA reported. Monday was the first day of the new school year. Quote, This is a heartbreaking and tragic time for our school community. This is not the news a principal ever wants to share, let alone the day before we start a new school year. Principal Shaniff Pearl said in a message to parents, staff, and students Sunday. Quote, The impact of this senseless loss has affected our family, our friends, and our community, Ligon's family said in the statement provided to WUSA. Quote, Naima will never see her prom or her graduation. We will not get to see her graduate from college or get married or have kids. End quote. That's the end of the article. But I, you know, I mean, like, much, much, much respect to that girl who lost her life and her family and her friends and all of that, of course, of course. I want to know what's going on with the girl that stabbed her over fucking sauces. What's going on with that girl? It just makes me think that, I mean, who's going to stab someone over McDonald's sauces? I don't even care. Like, if you need that ranch that bad, fucking take it. You know what I'm saying? I can deal with whatever. So what was going on with the girl that did the stabbing? So then the next one also comes from cbsnews.com from a close general area. Maryland oral surgeon convicted of murder and death of girlfriend who overdosed on anesthetic drugs. So an oral surgeon was convicted on Friday of a murder charge in the death of his girlfriend who overdosed on anesthetic drugs that he administered at his Maryland home. Jurors heard testimony that James Ryan, 50 set up an intravenous stand to administer the addictive drugs to his 25-year-old girlfriend, Sarah Harris, who was found dead at his Montgomery County home in January of 2022. He was 50, she was 25. Speaks volumes. The jury deliberated for three hours before returning a guilty verdict on all counts. Ryan faces a maximum of 55 years in prison when he is sentenced at a date to be determined. 
An autopsy found that Harris died of intoxication from ketamine, propofol, and diazepam. Prosecutors argued that Ryan showed an extreme indifference to Harris's life by continuously supplying her with drugs as her addiction and health worsened. She weighed 83 pounds at the time of her death. Hey Siri, how many kilograms is 83 pounds? 37.65 kilograms. That's tiny. Our next article comes from beta.ctvnews.ca. And the title reads, Man accused of selling lethal self-harm products online charged in death of Waterloo resident. What? Selling lethal self-harm products online. Lethal, not legal. Lethal self-harm products online. Okay. A man accused of selling sodium nitrite and other dangerous materials to people at risk of suicide is facing a dozen new charges, including one related to a victim from Waterloo. Peel Regional Police announced the additional charges against Kenneth Law at a news conference Tuesday. They include one count of aiding and abetting the suicide of someone in Waterloo between June 13th 2022 and June 17, 2022, according to court documents obtained by CTV Toronto. Law was also charged in the deaths of four people in Toronto, three in, in York Region, one in Durham Region, one in London, Ontario, one in Thunder Bay, and an additional death in Peel Region. Police said the victims range in age from 16 to 36. Quote, let us be clear. We will not tolerate criminal actions by those who prey on vulnerable individuals in our communities, and we will hold those responsible accountable, York Regional Police Inspector Simon James told reporters. We ask that the public be cautious and vigilant of online activity, end quote. So Law, who is from Mississauga, Mississauga, was arrested in early May. Uh, you Canadians are laughing your asses off at me. I know you are. At the time, investigators charged him with aiding and abetting the suicides of two residents and said that they were examining nearly 1,200 packages allegedly sent to 40 countries. Holy cow. Law allegedly sold the products through multiple online storefronts. In addition to sodium nitrite, Websites associated with law also appeared to sell rubber tubing, gas masks, and other dangerous materials which can be used for unaliving oneself, and phone consultations with law were also advertised on the sites police have said. And that's the end of the article. So what he's doing is trying to help people. It's like assisted suicide, and I have mixed feelings about that. Um... I mean, we can get into that at some point if you guys want to hear my opinion on it. But, you know, it's it's kind of a infinite shades of gray there, isn't it? Kind of depending on the situation. So our next article comes from beta.cp24.com. The title says, It's sickening. Mother demands justice as deaths possibly tied to alleged suicide salesmen rise to over 100. Oh, so this is the same guy. Here we go. The British mom of a TikTok star is coming forward demanding justice after she found out her daughter died using a so-called suicide kit allegedly sold by a Canadian man as deaths possibly tied to Kenneth Law rise to over 100. 
CTV News is also learning more details about the ongoing investigation into law and an employment dispute at the iconic Toronto hotel where law worked as a new video emerges of law. Louise Nunn said it was sickening to learn that the death of her daughter, Imogen, known as Deaf Imi, Imi, to 710,000 TikTok followers was one of 88 British people local police say died after ordering products from Law's websites over a two-year period. Nunn said it was heartbreaking to learn of the other deaths months and years before her daughter's and believes many lives could have been saved if authorities had acted earlier. Quote, I can't even say how angry it makes me feel. It's sickening. Why did they let it go on for so long? They could have stopped this a long time ago, Nunn said. So Nunn came forward Friday as Britain's National Crime Agency revealed that 272 people had ordered products that could be used to commit suicide from Canadian websites, and of those, 88 had died. 272 had ordered the products, 88 have died so far that they know of. So police in Canada have warned about the websites allegedly run by Kenneth Law, who faces two charges of aiding and abetting suicide. Peel police said at the time of his arrest that they had tracked some 1,200 products to 40 countries. So, guys, I don't even know what to say about that. Just love yourself. Find a way to if you can. Oy vey. Our next article comes from whsv.com. WHSV Fox 3, working hard for you. It says at the top, title reads, quote, It's eating me alive. Jury hears from experts and investigators. So, almost two years after the public learned her name, a man accused of abusing and killing Khaleesi Cuthriel, Travis Brown, appeared for the second day of his jury trial on Tuesday, coming from Staunton, Virginia. Since September 2021, Khaleesi Cuthriel's story has slowly but surely unfolded. A little girl from Waynesboro disappears and isn't reported missing for months By the time she is reported missing, investigators learn she's dead and likely has been for months. Almost two years after the public learned her name, a man accused of abusing and killing her, Travis Brown, appeared for the second day of his jury trial on Tuesday, August 29th. Brown's co-defendant, Candy Royer, will face a jury in October. Investigators have had to keep most details about Khaleesi and what happened to her very quiet. When Brown was arrested in September 2021, he was interrogated by Trevor Rexroad, formerly with the Augusta County Sheriff's Office, and Michael Rowan, who is still with ACSO. Jurors watched about half of the September 19, 2021 interrogation on Monday, August 28th, and the other half Tuesday morning. In that, Brown first told investigators that Khaleesi was alive. Rex Road and Rowan at some points pleaded with Brown to tell them where where she was. Quote, we cannot lose sight of a three-year-old baby girl. However, after a while, he said Khaleesi died after she hit her head, an injury sustained in one accident. He said he panicked and did not call for help. Instead, he said he wrapped her in her blanket and put her in the trash. <sighs> A 
Augusta County Commonwealth's attorney Tim Martin said Friday, August 25th, during jury selection, investigators have not been able to recover Khaleesi's remains. Major Brian Jenkins with ACSO spoke to that fact, saying investigators tested Brown's trash can for blood, but nothing came back. Brown estimated Khaleesi died in January, and the test took place on September 20th. Jenkins said it's possible the trash can was switched out for a new one. He said the landfill where Khaleesi's remains might have been dumped is bigger than 90,000 cubic yards, which would take about 46 months to fully process. Brown said in an inter- that was me doing math in my head. Brown said in that interrogation, Candy Royer had nothing to do with her death. His attorney Dana on Monday said Royer is the one responsible for the child's death. Quote, I would never hurt a little girl, man, Brown said in September 19th interrogation. Just a day later, investigators with Virginia State Police and the Augusta County Sheriff's Office executed a search warrant at Brown's home on Cattle Scales Road. A handful of scientists testified Tuesday to speak about the findings from that search. Nicole Harold with the Virginia Department of Forensic Science said three dots of blood on the wall were found to belong to the biological child of Ted Cuthriel and Amanda Are, who are Khaleesi's parents. Now, since Khaleesi's remains have not been found and there's no sample of DNA, Harold clarified the sample of Khaleesi's DNA was formed by mixing Cuthriel's and Aries. They can't find any sample of her DNA anywhere. The child existed, right? Did she not have a hairbrush? Did she not have a toothbrush? Did she not sleep in a bed somewhere where her hair might have gotten a pill? I mean, something, anything? Really? Just mixing the parents' DNA. Just, oh, you know, oil and water. Let's see what happens. So anyway, of those splatters, one was six feet off the floor. Harold said hair found in electrical tape wrapped around a bent wire hanger was also consistent with that same mix of DNA. Royer's DNA was also found on that hanger. Electrical tape wrapped around a bent wire hanger. So VSP Special Agent A.G. Wouders explained another observation on Tuesday. He is the one of the agents who went inside the home on September 20th. He said Khaleesi's bedroom doorknob was backward, meaning the people inside the home would have been able to lock her inside rather than the other way around. He had photos of other doorknobs in the home. That one was unique. An expert on child abuse and torture... (laughs) And torture from Virginia Commonwealth University, Dr. Robin Foster, spoke as well, explaining it's not possible for a child to kill themselves in the way Brown had described Khaleesi's death. Brown had said in 2021 that Khaleesi was prone to falling and would throw herself down multiple times a day. Foster said Khaleesi's injuries were not likely a result of a fall. Generally, Foster said in a case of childhood torture, all adult caretakers are responsible. Foster also evaluated the devastating photos and videos of Khaleesi. Each photo and video showed physical wounds like burns, cuts, and bruises. Photos also show how thin her hair got, some parts of her head fully bald, and her thinning frame. These photos, investigators said, were all found on Royer's devices and accounts. 
She watched a video of Khaleesi as she was criticized by Brown and Royer. In the video, Khaleesi sat on a bed on her knees, her arms folded in her lap, and she looked sad. She was being told by Brown and Royer that she will be going to live somewhere else, and they are talking about how they won't buy her any Christmas or birthday presents. She's asked to tell Mommy and Daddy, Royer and Brown, that she loves them. She hesitates. Brown gives her a high five for not lying. Foster said the video is an example of spurning, which can be a form of psychological terror. In the photos and videos, Foster acknowledged not only the physical effects of the alleged abuse, but also the emotional effects. She said Khaleesi was making herself small and quiet with what she described as an empty look on her face. You know what that tells me. You know what that tells all of us, right? That this has been going on for a super long time and she's just conditioned to take it. Oh my God, that makes me so angry. Um... Let's see. Khaleesi rarely made eye contact with the camera or the person holding it. Inevitably, every person in the room was sensitive. Attorneys, the defendant, as well as the witnesses. I, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't have anything nice to say. Moving on. I think, actually, that'll probably do it for this week's Monday Morning Murder in the News. Sorry to leave, to kind of, you know, cut it at a negative tone, but... That last article really just kind of got under my skin. I told you I don't read these ahead of time. Wow, sorry, left you on a bad one. But hopefully most of you are off today. It's Labor Day in the United States. I'm off my regular job, which means that I will be working on podcast stuff um, and just around household things, you know. So if you do have to work, well, we appreciate you working because some of us are lazy and we don't want to cook. And, you know, for whatever reason you are working, you're appreciated. I wish you had the day off, but if you're cool with it, then carry on. Um, For all of us, just try to have a good week. It's going to be a short week for most of us. And I guess that's about it. So love you guys. Bye.